Good morning, Servants Church. I hope you guys are doing well uh, this morning. And uh, I'm really excited again for us to be able to get into the Word together, specifically because today we're not going to just, you're not going to just receive teaching uh, from me. Today we're going to together seek the Lord in prayer. And I think as I read the text, you'll know why. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you're not already there, on your device or in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 to the end of the chapter, and then the first seven verses of chapter 2. So 1 Timothy 1 verse 18 is where we want to be, and I'll read it, and then we will pray and get into it together. Paul writes, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good war, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hemonias and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it pleases, is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the, present, at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And Father, we pray that as we get into your uh, word together, that you would uh, equip us to do this great work of ministry that you call prayer. Uh, Lord, that we would draw near to you in prayer this morning. Uh, Father, as, as I've been praying earlier this week, I ask that you would again just help all of us, Lord, to have a breakthrough in our prayer lives. Lord, may, I, may, I pray that this would not be a, um, <clears throat> a time of guilt, but a time of restoration, of growth. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you yet, that today would be the first day that they call upon your name, that they draw near to you and they, they have you answer. So please, Lord, meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. One of the things that we see about Jesus in the Gospels is he often would kind of sneak away to pray. He would maybe get up before everyone else did. He would go out to some sort of a secret place and he would spend time with his heavenly father. And we know why he did this. He he did this obviously because there was needs that he wanted the father to meet, but also he did this because he was completely sure that his father loved him, that the father uh, God loved God the son perfectly, completely, as he always had from eternity past. It was that relationship, that assurance of eternal love that prompted Jesus the man to get up early and go pray. And we know that this was the, this was the motivation. We know this is what motivated Jesus to pray because he called us to have this motivation when we pray. 
Jesus, in talking about prayer, says this. Listen to this. In Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In other words, Jesus says, here's the motivation you need to have in prayer. You have a good Father who wants to do good things for you. Now, this is really important, especially as we get into this context in 1 Timothy. If you remember from earlier, the two earlier lessons, uh, Timothy's in a situation where in the city of Ephesus, he is having to, in a sense, replant some churches or correct some things that have gone pear-shaped. And one of the things that we see happening is, is some false teachers have come in, people who thought that they wanted to be teachers of the law, but they were twisting God's law, they were twisting God's word, and making it mean something it didn't. They were using the law in a way that actually undermined the grace of God instead of preparing people for the grace of God. And so in this context, in this situation, in a place where there's going to be conflict and difficulty, Paul says, listen, I want you to make a priority of prayer. And so one of the things that we're going to see today is we're going to see that really when, when Paul is exhorting Timothy to pray, he's also in a sense reminding us of the God that we're praying to. Because really when it comes to prayer, the thing that's most important is we don't forget who we're talking to. So there's going to be three main things about the God we pray to that we're going to see from this text and many other things that we're going to see that hopefully will motivate us to prayer. And what we're going to do is we're going to stop periodically for a minute or two, and we're going to just pray. There'll be a slide on your screen that will give some suggested prayers. And these aren't prayers so much for you to pray word for word, but just some ideas of how you can pray. This may be the first time that you've prayed out loud, or maybe you're meeting with another family in your lounge as you watch this, and it may feel a little awkward to pray. Maybe you haven't prayed out loud with them before. Well, let today be the first day. Let today be the day where you go into the presence of your Father with your brothers and sisters and see what God does. So let's pick it up in verse 18 again and see the circumstances that Timothy found himself in that motivated or should motivate him to pray. In verse 18, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made uh, about you. Now, this is interesting because Paul is, likes to use military terms. And when he says this charge, he's using a military term. He's saying this is the command. As one in authority to one under authority, here's the command I give you. But he also says, uh, he's, he's, he, he refers to, to Timothy as his child. So I love this because here Paul is, is wanting Timothy to, uh, to think about the, his responsibilities, to think about how to prioritize himself in meeting those responsibilities. And, and here Timothy's in a place where he's going to have to wage war. He's going to have to really be involved in some conflict. And so in this, Paul starts by kind of saying, listen, I, I want you to be able to do this from real healthy relationships. And he's modeling this healthy relationship, which is, both authoritative and affectionate. Now, now, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's an important side note because when it comes to our relating to God, we have to see Him this way. We have to see God as authoritative and also affectionate towards us. And we need to see our relationships with one another as often authoritative and affectionate. All of us are in one sense under authority. 
not just authority of God, but authority in the church, authority in the home. All of us are under some kind of authority. And often many of us are in some kind of authority where we have responsibility for other people. And we need to make sure that we don't just kind of chuck that aside, that authority aside, because in doing so, we're chucking away uh, a responsibility that God's given us. But also, we don't want to let that authority get in the way of the affection that God wants to develop between us. And so Paul, in giving Timothy this charge, you see this balance between authority and affection. But also, he, he says to Timothy, Timothy, this, this war that you're going to wage, this, this battle that you're going to endure, it, it needs to happen according to the prophecies given, uh, made o- about you or given over you. Now, we don't know for sure what those prophecies were. We don't even know when they actually happened. Some people think it might have happened when uh, uh, Timothy was commissioned to go into ministry with Paul. could be then. But, but here's what we do know. God often will use prophecy as a way to encourage people and call people into ministry or to at least confirm a call into ministry. That's a whole other Bible study that we might hopefully get into in the future. But it's important to see this is what's happening. Paul, uh, Timothy knows or, that he was called prophetically into ministry and that ministry is going to be tough. Paul's saying wage the, the battle with that. But also notice what he says in, in verse 18, in the first part of verse 19, he says, I want you to wage this good warfare, verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. Now, the idea here is holding on to the faith, not just believing, but it's about trusting the faith, trusting the gospel of grace that we talked about last week. But also when he says, and holding it with a good conscience, he means it's, it, you need to have your faith in the right place in the gospel of grace. But you need to have your behavior in the right place, that which demonstrates the gospel of grace. And so what he's talking about here is he's saying, Timothy, you need to wage this good warfare and you need to do so by uh, trusting and applying the gospel of grace. Now, he then mentions these guys that we don't know much about, Hemonias and Alexander. But here's what we do know. It says in verse, first, the second part of verse 19, he says, by rejecting this, some have shipwrecked uh, of their faith, have made shipwreck of their faith. And then he tells us two of these guys. He says, among them whom are Hemonias and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, again, we don't know much about these two guys. There's a Hemonias... Uh, mentioned in 2 Timothy could be the same guy. Uh, There's another Alexander mentioned in 2 Timothy could be the same guy. We don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. They were living in such a way that that Paul says they were rejecting this gospel of grace. They were rejecting a trusting in, you know, having faith, holding on to faith, and an expression of that is having a good conscience in regards to the gospel of grace. And so these guys had, had deserted, you might say, the battle that God put them in. Now, this is important because when it comes to prayer, one of the things that should motivate us is the fact that we are praying to a God who is with us and leads us through the battles, through the difficulties. To, to follow Jesus is to experience difficulty. It's, just, it's, it's part of our, our, our calling. Uh, Paul says uh, in the book of Acts, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can look it up later. In Acts chapter 14, Paul says, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It's the expected experience of every Jesus follower to have conflicts and have battles. And so with that, the way we're going to have wisdom and and be able to kind of navigate those battles is by praying to the God who's with us in the battle and is leading us through the battle. 
Interesting too with this, that even though these guys were guilty of something pretty serious, because this phrase giving over to Satan is the idea that they've been kind of removed from the church. In fact, Paul uses the same phrase, uh, kind of phraseology in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. He says this, speaking of a different man, obviously, he says, Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed uh, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Now, I, I want to share this because it's, it's obvious here in, in this context as well. That in Paul wanting to encourage Timothy to make prayer a priority, in Paul wanting to encourage Timothy that the only way he's going to get through the battle is through prayer, that even in, in, in removing these guys, Hemonias and Alexander, who are being blasphemous and rejecting the gospel of grace, even they have an opportunity to come back, to repent. That's going to be really important as we pray in a minute. In a minute. Because it, it says specifically in, in verse 20 that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so the idea is that they can be restored. Now, this is important because one of the things that causes conflict, probably really actually, the, the, the main thing that causes conflict among Jesus followers or in the visible church is people not wanting to repent. It's easy to say, well, the reason there's conflict in church is because of sin. People are in sin. Well, people are in sin every day. People who go to church who are trying to love Jesus are still wrestling with sin every day. The issue, as I've said before, is not so much sin, but repentance, or returning from that sin. And so maybe when uh, Hemenaeus and Alexander began to question the gospel of grace, maybe they were trying to say, no, you have to keep the law as well. Maybe they were into legalism. Or maybe they were saying, hey, none of this law means anything. We can do what we want now. We're under grace. And they were actually perverting the grace of God by doing that. We, we don't know what the error was, but whatever it was, the sense we get was that people within Ephesus, maybe Paul himself, was correcting them and they refused correction. They refused to turn away. And because they refused to turn away, they had to be put out of the church. Now, this is, this is something that we have to understand. Someone who is refusing to turn back to God away from their sin. And again, we're not talking about issues that we can debate about, things that maybe you feel free to do that I don't feel free to do. We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about stuff that is very clear about what the gospel says, about what undermines the gospel, or about, about, about what puts a threat to people uh, on people who believe the gospel, that kind of stuff. When someone doesn't want to turn from those things, they cannot remain in fellowship. But they can still be restored. We, we have, uh, we're very fortunate to have some great stories in Servants Church of people that were uh, disciplined severely by another church or by even by our church, but yet came to repentance and are restored and are doing amazing. They're just growing in grace like crazy. So God is in the business of restoring. This is one of the reasons why prayer is so important in the middle of the battle. Because God's with us in the battle because he wants to see those enemies become friends. He wants to see those people that are turning their back on him to be restored to him face to face. This is really important for us to understand. So, so with that in mind, why don't we take just a couple of minutes to, prayer, to pray? On your screen, there's some suggested prayers of repentance. So let's just take a couple minutes now and pray. Yes, Father, we ask that you would have mercy on us sinners, that you restore us afresh. And keep speaking to us now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. All right. So the, the first thing that we saw in this section about prayer and about the priority of faithful prayer is the fact that it's God who, it's, we're praying to the God who leads us through the battles. Now let's talk about the God who can change anything because this is what we see, I think, that, w- that we need to think about or what we need to think about God in this next section in the first part of chapter 2. Paul says plainly, first of all, that's of, of first importance. As a priority, first of all, he says, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. Now, Paul's not listing every kind of prayer there is, but there's something interesting about these prayer categories that Paul uses. And they're used throughout the New Testament, even throughout the Old Testament, these different prayer categories. And as we talk about what these categories are, I think what, they're, what they show us is something about the generosity of our God. The fact that each type of prayer, each kind of category of prayer, is, is, is to be motivated by this good and generous God that we're praying to. So the first on the list is supplication. Supplication simply means asking. It, it comes from a, a word that means to, to beg for help. It's the idea that you are humbly recognizing that you need something you can't get for yourself. And so you're asking the person you're, you're praying to to get it for you, or the, or the God you're praying to to get it for you. Now, when it comes to supplication, is what motivates that kind, of, that kind of prayer is that we're asking this God because we believe He cares for our needs. There's a great verse you can look up later, great verses in 1 Peter chapter 5 that talk about that we need to humble ourselves because, and cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. We have a God who cares for us. So when we're in desperate need, we can ask Him and know that He cares. He's not annoyed by our requests, our supplications. The next word prayer, very generic word prayer, but it's a word that does mean to pray towards God. The idea here is a worship, praying to someone in, who's superior uh, to you. And, and the thing is, is that we pray to this God who's greater than us, who's greater than all things put together. We pray to him because he's shown himself to be willing to be found. You guys might remember a few weeks back if you've been with us in, in our series in 1 and 2 Chronicles that we talked about a passage from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11, where, where it talks about that uh, God says his plans for us are good and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. Well, what he goes on to say in the same context in Jeremiah uh, 11, verses 12 and 13, he talks about, look, you will seek me with all your heart and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so God's saying, look, I'm willing to be found. This is why we pray to him. He's not a God that stays silent. He's not a God that, 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 that hides himself from us, but a God who wants to show himself to us through answering our prayers. The next word he uses is intercessions. And I love this because intercession is when we pray for somebody else, something that I hope uh, you guys do even today. That you, you think of someone you can pray for even today. Now, we, we intercede for people because we believe God chooses to use our prayers to help other people. And that's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I think, God, you know what's up. Just, just do all the good stuff. Do whatever you think is best. Because it's a lot of labor and it's difficult to think about what's best for somebody and how to ask God for that. But that's actually what God wants to use. He wants to use our prayers to help us get closer to Him. But also, He wants us to pray specifically and use those specific prayers to do what He wants to do. So that we're actually involved in the work. Again, there's this great passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul's talking about a very difficult time he had in ministry in Asia. And when he's having this ministry, these ministry difficulties, he, he actually thought he was going to die. He said, we, we had a sentence of death on ourselves, he says. 
But then he talks about how God uh, showed him through this that they should, him and his companions, should not trust themselves, but trust God who even raises the dead. And he goes on in the same section in 2, two uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. He goes on to say, and you are helping together with your prayers. In other words, he's giving God all the glory for rescuing him from a very difficult place, for teaching him that he's got to trust God and God alone. He's giving God the glory for that. But he's also acknowledging, hey, Corinthians, it was your prayers that helped make this happen. Think about that. You, you might be in a place where you have no, you feel like you have no extra time for any ministry. Maybe you feel like you have a heart for, for another country or a ministry in another city. Guess what? You can be involved in that ministry through intercession. And you can be motivated to intercede because God, our generous God, chooses to answer our prayers and use our prayers to, to do great things. The last word he uses is thanksgiving. And I, and I, and I wish, almost wish he would have done this first because I found in my own prayer life that it, the sooner I get into thanksgiving, the, the more my heart is linked to where it's supposed to be, the more my focus is on how good and generous God is. And the reason we, we want to give thanks to God, we should be motivated to give thanks to God, is because the scripture is clear that God is the one who gives us every good gift. Every good relationship in our life is because of God. Every good material possession we have in our life is because of God. Every future hope that we have is because of God. Every past blessing is because of God. The Bible says this in James 1, 17. So even Paul's prayer categories say something about who God is. He's the generous God, the God who can change anything in any circumstance. There's a great verse in the book of Romans that shows us the measure of God's generosity. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, graciously give us all things? You see, God says, here's how generous I am going to be to you. I'm going to give you my own son so that you could have a right relationship with me. If that's God's standard of generosity, shouldn't we be motivated to be asking, seeking, interceding, and giving thanks? Absolutely. Now, in, in the second part of, uh, second little part of verse one of chapter two, he says, these prayers should be made for all people. And so it's very clear here that, that we should be praying for anyone that comes to mind, all people. Now, there's some specifics we can be praying for, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But notice what he also says in verse 2. He says, these things should be done for all people, these kinds of prayers for all people. But also he says, for kings and for all who are in high positions. In other words, uh, Paul's kind of saying, look, there's people categories that you need to pray for. Not just prayer categories to, to think about, but people categories. And those people categories that Paul uses, they tell us something about God's character. They, in one sense, they demonstrate the fact that God is sovereign, that he's in control of all things. Think about this. When he says pray for all people, that means there's not a single person who's too insignificant for God to notice. Now, maybe you walk down the street and you don't notice most people. Maybe you purposely zone out and don't notice, notice most people. But the people that we would never take notice of God takes notice of. And often we will notice somebody because God wants us to pray for that person. Think about that just in the context of, of, of church life. Think about that now in lockdown when the, the, our, most of our church experience is online or, or to think about the people in our church we have to go through and read the church directory. But look at the church directory and think about 
Who are the people that you don't know? Maybe those are the ones that God wants you to pray for because God wants to sovereignly use our prayers and he cares about all people. But also when he says pray for all those who are in high positions, it also means that there's no person who's too powerful that God can't move them. There's a great Proverbs, uh, a great proverb in Proverbs 21.1 that talks about that, that God uh, uh, turns the heart of the king like a river. In other words, he steers the direction of nations uh, and he often uses our prayers to do that. I mean, think about this. Think about the fact that, again, if God's going to use our prayers, God can sovereignly use our prayers to change our church, to change our city, and to change our nation. God can do that. God does that. But then he says in the last part of verse 2, listen, he says, here's, here's the kind of goals, the prayer goals that, that Paul gives. And they, they, say, they say something about God's plan for us. He says, we're praying this, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, uh, uh, godly and dignified in every way. This is interesting. When he talks about a peaceful life here, there's, he, when he says peaceful and quiet, he's talking about peaceful in the sense of outward circumstances being peaceful. Obviously, no wars or, or, or conflicts or, or the minimum uh, of those things. Uh, no global pandemics. We should be keep praying for that, obviously. Um, but he's also talking about the quiet speaks of the, the inwardness, that in, in, inside we still have a peace reigning in our heart. Inside we can still be content even when things are falling apart around us. But also this, this idea of, of having, um, how does he put it, uh, uh, living life in a godly and dignified way. The idea there is, 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 is developing a godly character. Now, this is important because when Paul says these should be kind of our prayer goals, when we're praying for all people and praying for people that are in high positions and we're, we're praying in all these different categories of prayer, our goal should be that we could live in peaceable circumstances, that we could experience the peace of God personally, and that we would grow in godly character. That's meant to direct our prayers. And we're going to talk more about this when we get to chapter 4. But for now, I just want to... Uh, have us to take another couple minutes to pray. And this time we're going to pray for our nation and we're going to pray for our church. So let's just take a minute and a half, two minutes, and let's pray together. Again, on your screen there'll be some suggestions, suggestions for prayers. Um, let, let's just pray together for these things. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much for our church family and we can't wait to be together again. Thank you that that's going to happen soon. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as we're uh, just kind of coming together in smaller ways, that you would help us to grow in praying for one another and help us, Lord, to pray for our country, to give us wisdom, to lay aside our political convictions for gospel convictions and to ask you to turn the hearts of the government toward things that are just and good and right. Please, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. All right. So we've seen so far that we're praying to a God who's with us in the battle, a God who can change anything. And hopefully you're praying with that kind of heart. You're praying to that God. But lastly, let's talk about what it means to pray to the God who seeks the lost. Because I love that in this context where Paul's wanting to say, let's make faithful prayer a priority for the church, he talks about this God who seeks and saves the lost. Look at verse 3. Paul says, this is good... And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Now, I love this because 
What Paul's saying here is he's saying, what he's saying, this is good. The good he's talking about is that we would live a quiet and peaceable life, uh, that we would be able to grow in godliness and dignity. That's what he's saying is good. This is what's pleasing to God when we live this way. And one of the reasons this pleases God is because this is what leads to the gospel going forth. This is what leads to, to uh, this is what sets a context uh, and, and for us to bring the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel to the people around us. And the thing is that, that Paul says here, this pleases the God who saved us. This is as if Paul saying, Timothy, don't forget who saved both you and I. That the God that we're praying to is the God who has uh, sought and saved us. And again, this whole idea of how God saves people, we're going to talk more about when we get to chapter 4. But look what it says also in verse 4 of chapter 2. This God, our Savior, is who desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people. Now, this is awesome because the God that we're praying to is a God that we can really believe wants to save our neighbors and our family members. He wants them to come to faith. Let me give you an example of this, a really encouraging story. When I was doing youth work in California years ago, we had a Sunday night, we had a Wednesday night, was our big youth group where everybody came. Then we had a kind of a smaller Sunday night group that was really a bit more intensive discipleship, and, and uh, it was a really great group. I loved our Sunday night group. And I was trying to challenge these teenagers, these 14, 18-year-olds, about the importance of prayer, and especially praying for each other. So we decided to do something that lots of people have done, lots of Christians have done over the years, we decided to, to break into prayer groups. There was just, we'd pull names out of a hat and there'd be three of us in each group. And in, in each group, each of us would write down the list of three people that weren't yet saved that we wanted to see come to faith in Jesus. And so the group I was in, uh, I was in a group with uh, the young guy. He was one of our worship leaders, a guy named Montana. Hey, Montana, if you're watching. Uh, and, and also with uh, another, another young person. And Montana specifically... Uh, was asking, hey, can we pray for my cousin, Chris? Chris is this really cool guy. <clears throat> he was really popular in high school. Uh, he doesn't know the Lord. He's kind of uh, now just going to college, and I just really want to see him. And I also want to see his sister, Tara, and I want to see, uh, Tara, sorry, and I want to see his, his mom get saved. Can we just pray for them? Those are the three people I want to pray for. And so we began the next several months praying for them, as well as the people that we are also praying for on the list. And God did something radical. First, we saw his aunt come to church and gave her life to the Lord. And then his sister or his cousin came to church, and she, Tara, gave her life to the Lord. She's still at that church with her husband now. And then, listen, then his cousin Chris came. And Chris got radically saved. I still can remember the day of praying with him to receive Christ as Savior. I can remember about six months later of seeing Chris just so radically already changed by the gospel in my office with his mom with tears in his eyes trying to tell his mom, I don't want to go to this college anymore. I want to learn to study and teach the Bible because nothing matters but telling people about Jesus. And, and it was like this amazing uh, thing to see, wow, how God had answered our prayers to so radically save these people. Guys, listen, God wants to save the people we're praying for. That's what the scripture says in its plainest way, that God wants to save people. In fact, listen to this. <clears throat> Jesus says in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. 
Seriously, brothers and sisters, can you imagine somebody saying, praying to Jesus, Jesus save me, and Jesus saying, no, no thanks. No, you can't, because it doesn't happen. That's not the God we serve. We serve the God who seeks the lost. Can you see how this is meant to motivate us to pray? Well, look at verses 5 and 6. It gets even better. Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. Now, first of all, have you noticed how many times Paul uses the word all in this section? He talks about praying for all people in verse 1. In verse 2, he talks about praying for all who are in high positions. In verse 4, he says that God desires all people to be saved. And then here again in verse 6, he says that Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. Again, taking this at face value, the idea there is that God desires all to be saved. Now, if that's the case, or can we believe that everyone's going to be saved? No, the scripture is really clear. Not everyone is going to be saved. God knows those that are his. God knows those that will believe in him and those that won't. God knows those that he's chosen and those that he hasn't. God knows those that are his. But the, the exhortation here is for us to pray knowing that God has provided for anyone to be saved. Now, Paul specifically here talks about what that provision is. Again, we're going to unpack this deeper in chapter 4, but I want to just for now focus on two things. One is Paul says that there's only one mediator, only one go-between between all humanity and the God who's made us. And that go-between is Jesus. He's the only mediator. Now, if you're new to Christianity, this might be one of the things that's difficult for you. Because when we say there's one mediator uh, between um, uh, God and man, and that's Jesus, that means that no other mediator works. That means that no other, there's no other way to salvation. That means it's not the church that mediates our salvation. It's not the Virgin Mary that mediates our salvation. It's not the Prophet Muhammad that mediates our salvation. It's not the Buddha that mediates our salvation. There's one mediator. His name is Jesus. All the other religions are measured against who Jesus is and what he says, whether they're true or false. And it doesn't take long to, to recognize that Jesus is saying he's the only truth. He's the only way to get to God. Now, we might push back against this. We, if, especially if you're to new this Christian stuff, you might go, that seems a bit harsh. I can't imagine God rejecting sincere Muslims. And, and if you feel that way, I want you to know I understand that. I have good friends that are Muslims that are lovely people. They're they are devout people. They are, they're good family people. There's a lot of positive things about them. But the Bible's clear here. There's only one way for us to be right with the God who's made us, the God whom we've sinned against, and that's this mediator, Jesus. Now, before you want to, you kind of decide you're going to reject that, that it's too narrow for you, think about this. Is it, is it possible that every way that people choose to know God or to not know God is equally valid? Common sense would say no. Common sense would say the person who wants to be an, um, an atheist says, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't believe there's a God. Uh, then that person can't be in a right relationship with God because they don't want to believe God exists. The, the person that is a Satanist who decides that God is the bad one and Satan's the good one, obviously is not really in a right relationship with God because they've wrongly accused him. The person that's rejecting the sufficiency of what Jesus has done on the cross for them and saying, no, I'll just be good by my own works that 
whoever, whatever religion is laid out for me, those, per, those people couldn't possibly be right with God. Now, obviously, we might say, okay, there's common moral ground with these different religions, but I want you to think about this. Does it make more sense that God would say, there's many ways, and you can guess which ones they are, or that God would say, there's one way, and I'll be clear which way it is. You see, what Jesus did is Jesus doesn't come and say, let me tell you about God. Jesus comes and says, I am God in the flesh. He, he lets the people come to that conclusion and, and receives worship as one who is God in the flesh. And then he predicts his own death and his own resurrection and does it. He fulfills it just as he said. You see, what we have with other religions is, I had a dream, let me tell you about God. Or I had a vision, let me tell you about God. What we have in Christianity is God saying, here I am. And if you don't believe me, you can kill me because I'll still rise from the dead to prove that I am who I say I am. Does that not make more sense? Is that, is that not more uh, uh, moral that God would make it clear and narrow? No, there's one mediator God's provided by which we all have to be saved. In fact, this, the other word I want to point out here is this word ransom. See, the word ransom basically means it's a price paid to buy you out of slavery. You were owned by someone else. You were a slave to something else. Jesus pays the price to, to, to free you from that slavery, to buy you into new ownership. Now, this is important because the thing is, we have to recognize it's not just that we need help. We're not just people that are um, occasional sinners or struggle with sin. We are sold in sin. We are slaves to sin. And the only way we can be rescued from that slavery is to be bought by a new master. And that's exactly what Jesus did. This is how he provided for anyone to be saved. Jesus is clearly exclusively the way to heaven, and Jesus is clearly sufficiently the way to heaven, the way to be right with God. Now, in this context, Paul, Paul basically puts himself up there. He's kind of trying to encourage Timothy. Timothy, you're not the only one trying to bring people to the saving knowledge. This is exactly what God's called me to do. In verse 7, he says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. In other words, Paul's saying very simply, God sent me to reach people with the gospel. Now, Here's the, here's the reality. Uh, not all of us are called to be preachers, but we're all called to preach or proclaim the gospel. Not all of us are apostles, definitely not like the apostle of Paul, but even in the sense of, uh, of someone who might be a church planter or something. Not all of us are sent out to a foreign land to do mission work like that, but all of us are sent to make disciples. Not all of us are, have a gift of teaching where we're called to explain truth to people, but all of us are called to teach and admonish one another. The, the reason I'm saying this is that it's important for us to know when we're praying to the God who seeks the lost, part of the prayers that we're praying is, God, send me, use me. I believe you want to save people. I believe you want to save the people that I'm, you're calling me to pray for. So with that in mind, I want us to, again, take a couple minutes to pray before I, I come back and close. And I want us to pray now for ourselves and for our loved ones. Take the time to give thanks. If you know Jesus personally, take the time to give thanks that he saved you. 
If you don't know Jesus, let your first prayer be, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let that be your first prayer because God wants to save you. He sent Jesus to prove that he wants to save you, that he wants a relationship with you. And then let's just take some time to pray. Again, there'll be on your screen some suggestions. Let's take some time to pray um, to our good Father who seeks the lost about those uh, who are lost in our loved ones. Yeah, Father, we thank you that you're the God that saves. That, Lord, we didn't seek after you until you first sought after us. And Lord, we do think of these people that we know, family, friends, neighbors, that we love, and that, Lord, we so desire for them to know your love, Lord. Thank you that you desire them to be saved. Help us to pray with that kind of confidence. Lord, you know those that are yours. But we pray, Father, that you would save these people that we're praying for. Give us the grace to press on in prayer for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to encourage you guys before you uh, kind of leave what you're doing, before you kind of think, okay, service is over, I'm done. Take some time. If you're with another family, take some time with them. If you're on your own, take some time and just seek the Lord some more. Think specifically about the categories of prayer. What, what, what can you ask God for? What can you thank God for? Who can you pray for? Take some time to, to pray. Maybe take some time to praise. Maybe sing a song together. Songs basically are prayers set the music. But let's, as a church, as a family, let's make prayer the priority. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. See you soon.